Can we just pray first? Let's pray. Our dear Lord, when we look at ourselves, um, what have we got to bring to one another? What has the preacher got? But Lord, you've not left us alone. You are in our midst and you are strong and mighty to save. So Lord, we look to you. Speak to our hearts. Help the preacher, help all of us as we listen to your word to hear you speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will be starting a new series next week in 1 Samuel. Uh, so I thought I'd just choose one last uh, one. We haven't. We've only just scratched the surface with these one another verses. There's so many in the scriptures. Um, Honour one another. Um, let me just share with you a lovely example of of what it is to be like what it's like to be honoured that I uh, experienced some years ago. I took a a, a friend. He was actually a, an evangelist uh, from another country who uh, was living in Australia but regularly going overseas um, and planting churches uh, in West Kalimantan, what was known as Borneo, and. Uh, I heard that John Stott, and I've forgotten the other fellow who came out with him, uh, was supporting ministries in uh, a lot of the countries where they were low on uh, resources. So we went to the Bible College and uh, and we listened to John Stott uh, and the other fellow share about uh, this ministry. And I just felt it would be good for my friend to actually talk to John Stott. So I actually boldly went up and introduced my friend to John. Uh, I'd never spoken to John before and I didn't think uh, that was something I could just do, but I thought for this fellow's sake it might open up a support for his ministry. And I stepped back and they chatted for about five minutes. And then John turned right around and he looked at him and he said, and who are you? Because I'd introduced my friend, I said, this is so-and-so. He said, who are you? And the sense of value that I felt from having someone who is one of my, uh, someone who I would put up on a pedestal a bit, uh, and for him to show interest in little old John Dunkley, he honoured me in a way that I was not expecting. I saw the same thing in the prison a different way the other night in our small group sharing. And uh, we shared questions in our group after hearing a message from the scriptures. Um, and in answer to one of the questions, uh, the, a fellow there was who's normally very shy and very quiet and doesn't say a thing, he just came out and said, because Jesus spoke the truth. <laughs> and he said it so with such conviction. And one of the other inmates looked at him and just praised him for such a good answer. And he didn't do it just once, he did it again in front of us all. He spontaneously 
honoured his fellow inmate who had been so quiet and shy to speak. It was one of those beautiful moments. He was showing all of us the way to honour one another. I discovered in looking at this uh, verse in Romans chapter 12, which the NIV, as we heard it read today, says, honour one another above yourself. But I discovered that the phrase honour one another may not be the best translation. In fact, the Greek word translated one another may not be linked to honour, but to another word in that verse, which is why the ESV reads, outdo one another. So instead of having honour one another as this sermon, it could have been outdo one another and you'd all have come with great intrigue. Um, What's the preacher going to talk about? Now the Greek verb in this verse can convey the idea of above yourselves. That's why the NIV says honour one another above yourselves. But the more natural reading of the Greek, I think, is to take the verb literally in the sense of going before in showing honour, leading the way in being the first to show honour to others. And that's why some translations, including the ESV, read, outdo one another in showing honour. So he's, Paul, maybe encouraging a healthy competition in the church. And here's the only game where you come out in front by lifting others up. Now that's a huge turnaround for me, for you maybe, in terms of what comes naturally. It is second nature for all of us, I think, to seek the praise of others rather than to pour praise on others. And so we have this counsel from Proverbs, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. The temptation to sing your own praise, to blow your own trumpet, to play to the crowd is there in every heart. We remember the disciples as they're going to Jerusalem with Jesus where in just a short time he will be crucified and we're told a dispute arose among them about who of them should be considered the greatest. These are the, the ones who will be the apostles of the church, the leaders uh, in at the birth of the church and here they are arguing over who would be considered the greatest. And it's easy to be appalled, isn't it, by their behaviour to think that we're better than that. Uh, the reality is that the ugliness of pride runs deep in every heart and it's easier to see it in our brother's heart than our own heart. So Paul wrote to the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He wrote that to believers because he knew that that would be one of the struggles that would seek to tear the church apart, that ambition to be the greatest. John Milton wrote, fame is the spur that the clear spirit doth raise, that last infirmity of noble mind, to scorn delights and live laborious days. Strange quote. 
We know someone who used to often bring that to us and to warn us of the, of the craving for fame. Fame is the spur. That's a metaphor. Fame prods the spirit to action, much like a, a spur prods a horse to move. You know, you have the spur and the boot and you're not meant to dig them in, but that's what they used to do. And they get the horse moving. Well, fame, the desire for fame, is something that gets us moving. Sad to say. How much of our action is spurred on by our desire for fame? How much would we do things if those things were unseen and unacclaimed by others? Milton calls fame the last infirmity of noble mind and I think what he means is a noble person will put aside other vices before abandoning the desire to be famous because it seems noble to pursue fame. Man by nature is hungry for fame. And we know that the desire for fame, for power, for glory, for human praise uh, results in incredible suffering, wars and terror across the world. But it can also destroy churches, can wreck ministries. But instead of craving the praise of others, we're to be eager to sing the praises of others. Now the wonderful thing, all the one another exhortations may seem beyond us, including this one, honour one another. But in fact they're all doable because of God's mercy. Remember Paul in Romans, it's in view of God's mercy that he gives us all these exhortations to be renewed in our minds, to give our bodies as living sacrifices and then to to uh, live in the ways that we read in, in that passage in Romans 12. We are the ones who know God's mercy. God has justified the ungodly, that's us. And we've been set up for the renewal of our minds through the power of Christ and his truth. He liberates us from the burden of our own ego and we need to keep on being liberated so that we no longer live self-centred lives, but other-centred lives. But it's actually doable to honour one another. Now, I've had, in my life, had some wonderful examples. Uh, my father-in-law was a man who had a wonderful gift at honouring people. And he would often write letters. And in those letters, just affirm and uh, lift you up in a way, not not in a way that, uh, that uh, enlarged your ego, but in a, in a way that showed you how blessed. He, he reminded you of the way God had blessed your life in the, in the previous year. He would do it that way. My wife just wrote a letter to my eldest daughter, 40 years old, makes me feel very old, and uh, my wife's picked up the same gift from her dad and wrote a beautiful letter honouring uh, Hannah, her life, who she is and what God has made her. It takes confidence to do that, doesn't it? it? takes love. takes humility. takes time. It takes a freedom from your own self to have time for others. 
to think about what they need. And so it sometimes looks like a bridge too far. How can I do that? And I ask myself that. But Christ is at work in us. He's overcome. He has conquered our ego and he goes on freeing us to be a, per- a people who honour one another. So we are, we are individually now uh, members of one another using our gifts not uh, to make ourselves look good but to build others up. And when that's happening, that's a powerful witness to the truth of the gospel because it, it shows the body of Christ functioning as it was designed to. So this verse, Romans 12.10, literally means go before in showing honour. Lead the way in honouring one another. Lead the way in showing respect and affirming the value for each one. There's a saying, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. And the idea is that you help someone else on the understanding that they will help you in return. And is that what we mean here? You, you know, if I honour you, then you need to honour me. And everyone goes home happy. No, that's not the idea. We honour others not hoping for something in return, but simply because this is the way of Christ, to outdo each other in lifting others up in the sight of others. There's something incredibly healing and encouraging in being the recipient of such honouring. The interesting thing is that Paul, in this context, doesn't say honour those who are especially clever or successful or caring. He simply says, be the first to honour others. There is a place, and Paul models it again and again, to honour those who have poured their lives out for the sake of the gospel. Um, Often you'll read that in the end of some of his letters. Uh, Romans 14 lists a number of people, fellow workers in the gospel, and he speaks of Priscilla and Aquila risking their necks for Paul's life. He passes his greetings on to specific believers by name, both men and women, who have worked hard (coughs) in the ministry of the gospel. So Paul loved to underline the costly ministry of others. And he does it again and again. In Philippians 2, he uh, speaks of how much Epaphroditus meant to him. He nearly died for the work of the Lord. And Paul writes, honour such men. And women, we'd say, of course. We should highlight the ministry of those who have given themselves freely for the sake of the gospel. They model Christ to us. So we need to honour them. But honouring one another goes wider than that. It goes out to lift up those whose ministry attracts little attention. It shines the light on those who often feel their contribution is not that important. Sometimes we can put ourselves down because we can't do what others can do. But we've heard and we'll hear again now that every part of the body is needed. If the whole body were an eye... We might see a lot, but we wouldn't get far, would we? We'd just be sitting around looking. Couldn't do anything, couldn't move. That would be a bit odd, wouldn't it? Aye, aye. 
Paul shows how funny it is to imagine the head saying to the feet, I have no need of you. So there's a real danger that the more public and visible ministries in the body of Christ are given more attention than they deserve. Now, that's true of us preachers. We get more attention than what we deserve. And the less visible then, like Bev and Bruce, who've been looking after that kitchen for how many years? A lot. And now suddenly they need to retire from that ministry. And now we miss them. But hardly noticed that quiet ministry for so many years. So Paul, what, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? And we, I think we've heard this a few times, but he says, uh, the idea that some members of the body are of little value and not really needed is addressed here. On the contrary, <clears throat> the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. This gets quite embarrassing, this passage. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there be may, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice Together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he's talking about the human body, then he talks about the body of Christ. So each member needs to be equally valued, equally honoured. That means there's no need, there, that means there is a need to give greater honour <coughs> to the member that lacked it, not out of pity, not because they're less worthy of such honour, but because their role is often less visible and less valued. And the goal of honouring each one, and especially honouring those who are often overlooked, is so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. <clears throat> what does he mean? Does he mean that's got to cause a, a church bust-up? I don't think so. <clears throat> I think what he means is, that the body of Christ is not divided between those who have important ministry and those who don't. Each member has a role to play that is essential and is significant for the health and functioning of the whole body. Each equally valued, equally honoured, so that when one, when one member suffers, all suffer together because they all know. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. No one gets left out in the cold. No one is forgotten. No one is overlooked. You see, we all know, we all need to know that we're valued not only by God, but by one another. We're exhorted. So, just to clear, he's not saying that. Um, that we honour those who are less honourable, whatever, what that means is more hidden. Their ministry is not looked upon as being that valuable. He's not saying that, 
that they are not worth, worthy of that honour. Who is worthy of any honour? <laughs> we got what we deserved, what we would get. But the wonderful thing is God makes us worthy of such honour in his grace. But what's important is that that honour is shared equally across the body in the way we care for one another, in the way we affirm one another, in the way we highlight what God, the, the, the evidence of God's grace in your life. And we probably don't do that well sometimes. But sometimes we do because Christ is here. And the encouragement is to, to, be, to be aware of the need to honour one another, even in the way that God has honoured us in Christ. Honouring one another doesn't mean we're blind to each other's failings. It means that we see each other in Christ. It means we accept each other as Christ has accepted us. It means we see each other as those for whom Christ died. It means we treat each other with the same grace that we've received from God. If we're showing honour to someone, it means we will be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. You know, many churches have struggled in, in the last couple of years, particularly through COVID, the, the struggle with controversy, maybe about COVID, maybe about vaccinations, um, maybe about political views. And it's so easy to let those things pull us apart. The way we honour someone with whom we might have disagreement is to give them the respect of listening to them, of being quick to listen, uh, slow to speak and slow to get angry. That's honouring them as a human being made in the image of God. He exhorts us, Paul does, to outdo one another in showing honour, <coughs> which is not about heaping praise on someone where it is not warranted. We're not to lie. Sometimes we fake honouring. Honouring could become just flattering, which is false. We're not commanded to honour that which God does not honour. Beautiful passage in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, this is not just so we have like mindfulness, you know, so that we keep ourselves happy. It's so that as we think about these things, we will speak and act with a gratitude for these things that are so good in, in the body of Christ and in the creation. Whatever is excellent, and it's not just excellent externally, like excellent performance. Uh, Piper makes the comment that excellence relates to everything. Someone can be excellent in their forgiving, excellent in their patience. You know, there's inner qualities that we should recognise that are excellent, excellent in, in their ability, in their teachability. 
excellent in the way they serve. And whatever is excellent should draw forth our praise and honour, honouring the person in which we see these things. Um, so we'd honour what God honours. We know that what the world honours is detestable in the sight of God. Um, but trouble is, as believers, sometimes we can walk around, walk around looking quite um, unhappy with everyone because they're not measuring up to this standard. Now, God's the one who could, has every right to wipe the whole place out, and yet in his mercy he does not. Judgment, there will come, and judgment does come. But God does not um, treat us as our sins deserve. Christ walked in the midst of sinful human beings. I spoke of Zacchaeus um, to the fellows in prison the other night, a corrupt tax collector, and yet he honours this man by saying, come down out of your tree, I'm coming to your place. He bestowed immense value on those around him because he saw that they were made in the image of God and in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. Some of us will have heard the story of the the, uh, probably a preacher was on a train and there was a fella who was very drunk and he was thinking what a miserable specimen of a human being that fella is. And then the, the fella looked at him, smiled and he said, would you like a drink? And the preacher thought, ah, and he spoke to him and said, gee, you're a generous man. And he engaged with him and shared the gospel with him and I believe led him to the faith. If we only show honour when people live up to our standards, well then we, will we honour our children? Will we honour our parents? Will we honour our wives, our husbands, our pastors? We may miss out on wonderful opportunities to show the love of God. We're told to honour all people. That's what Peter said in his letter. Those we think are honourable, but also those whom we may consider less deserving. Jesus made it clear that when we show honour to those who are needy and sick and imprisoned, we are showing honour to him. Ultimately, all honour belongs to God. Everything comes from him. Everything belongs to him. The beauty and blessing of any human ability or gift is ours because of him and there's nothing dishonourable in him. Everything is excellent and praiseworthy and honourable. That's why he is worthy to receive glory and honour and power. He created all things. The creation itself is a theatre of God's glory. The son is the radiance of God's glory. No wonder the father delights in his son and loves to honour him. And the, and the Son loves to honour the Father. And the Spirit is all in that honouring. The triune God is a whole community of serving and honouring one another. It's in this God's image that we were created. Honouring one another is not something 
that is on top of, you know, you could do a little bit better as a human being. if you No, to be human in God's image is to be a creature that lives continually honouring one another, reflecting the very nature and oneness of God in his love. So how perverse when the religious leaders would not honour Jesus for all the good that he was doing, for all the truth that he spoke, for all the love that he poured out on the needy ones in Israel. And no wonder, Jesus said, those who do not honour the Son do not honour the... He was not looking for worldly fame, but he knew that unless we could honour him, we could not honour God. And we're not honouring God. All that Jesus did and was was excellent and honourable and worthy of praise because it revealed the Father in all his glory. To deny him honour would be to deny the Father's honour. How could people not honour and glorify the Son? Well, sometimes our hearts are that cold. That's why we come together to encourage one another that we might honour him. How hard the human heart when it does not give honour where honour is due. This, this is, we're talking about the weight of God's glory and goodness revealed in the Son. But when we see any evidence of that glory in any human being, when we see something excellent and worthy of praise, in any fellow believer, we should show honour, shouldn't we? And we can, because Christ is in our midst. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come together not just to talk about words on a page. They are words from your book. But we want those words to renew our minds, to change our lives, to change the way we care for one another and to see the great blessing from putting these things into practice. I thank you, dear Father, that your Spirit is the one who now brings to us the power overcoming power of Christ that we might fulfill all the requirements, the righteous requirements of your Lord, all the things that reflect who you are that you planned would be displayed in our renewed humanity so we can with confidence hear your word and uh, take it on, not as a burden, but as a liberating power and blessing. And may we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.